0: Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: Equity mind. I will say this about investing: everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at twenty is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name is Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro?
0: I'm very good, Bryce. Can't wait for this episode. We've got one of the most known faces in finance yes, and I would argue the best
2: known beard in finance (laughs) on the show.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is our pleasure to welcome Tom Petrowski to the show. Tom, welcome.
2: So nice to chat, fellas. I was waiting to hear who was going to be. I thought it was someone interesting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Look, we are excited to have you on. As Alex said, uh, you've got a bit of a cult figure in the finance space, particularly among our group as well. A number of our audience have reached out to see if we can get you on the show. So we're pretty keen to get stuck into your journey in finance and a few things more broadly about the markets. For those who haven't come across Tom before, he is a market analyst at Comsec, runs a bunch of their executive series with CEOs among many. Any other things? So we'll get stuck into that in a bit. Ran over to you to kick it off with the game.
0: Yeah. So Tom, uh, we do like to start with a bit of a game. We call it overrated, underrated, and we'll throw out a few themes, a few different asset classes that we may not otherwise get to ask you about in the interview and get your thoughts on whether they're overrated or underrated. And so we'll start at home and our major index in Australia overrated or underrated the ASX 200 index?
2: Uh, I suppose what you're really asking me is like, you know, uh, you're not necessarily asking for a quantitative value in terms of its rating. It's just a qualitative uh, response. So, look, I I think it's, you know, this is our home share market index. So, it could not be overrated enough. If this is our equity market, it is the companies that are homegrown and that we invest in and, and that, make up the fabric of our investing lives I suppose so you could never never overrate it nice what
1: about if we move to more international waters the S&P 500 overrated or underrated
2: well, again, you know, it's a similar sort of response. You're, you're talking about the measure of the, the top 500 uh, US organizations in the world's, one of the world's most important democracies, if not the most important democracy. So it is uh, very difficult to overrate that type of market. This is an example of an index that has generated wealth for people and families and businesses over a a long time. So it's a really important part of the financial universe. Mm. So Tom, if we move to an asset
0: class that is much beloved by many Australians, overrated or underrated the Australian residential property market?
2: It's a fascinating discussion when it comes to Australian residential property because it is always on the tip of everybody's tongue. Yeah. For a number of reasons. You know, baby boomers recline like basking cats when you talk about residential property because they <laughs> have so much of it. You know, uh, mill- millennials just have a per- perennial itch about, you know, when they will be able to make an impression on the property market for the first time. So it gets discussed a lot, but probably with, with, with good reason. So is there a rating in the middle? neutral (laughs) yeah yeah it's probably you know underrated as well because it's so revered in the psyche of australian society i suppose Mm.
1: now an industry that uh we're both in and one that is often confusing i guess for our audience but interested to hear your thoughts overrated or underrated financial media
2: Again, it is one of the conduits by which the average person has a sense of what's going on in investment markets so look it, it, it's it's quite important uh, to as a vehicle for informing people, so it 's probably underrated i would suppose it 's all about the way that the message is delivered, uh, I suppose, and I think it's wonderful that both uh, you and Alec uh, Bryce are you know on this journey of trying to help people out in terms of understanding uh, more about this world it's it's probably something that hasn 't been done in your demographic in my memory you know it tends to just be a much Older male crew that does this. I, I used to be young when I started, but um, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know it's, it's it's great that you're doing this for uh, a group of your peers. It's so I would say underrated.
0: Bryce just wanted to get that question in to get a compliment out of you, so he's uh, he's beaming broadly on the other side of the studio now. <laughs> So Tom, an an asset that has been particularly interesting during this COVID period has been gold. So overrated or underrated gold as an investment option?
2: as an investment option it's a fascinating construct right because this will come up quite frequently in our chat this afternoon is that you know whenever you have interest rates well, to have interest rates at these levels effectively zero to negative uh, around the world you know you're effectively debasing the value of currencies and it's all about hard assets and under those circumstances gold has become increasingly important in that respect not only- only as uh, the idea of gold itself but also in terms of the importance of hard assets so i'd say it's underrated at this stage
1: and then finally tom an asset class again that has been pretty divisive and controversial over the last couple of years overrated or underrated bitcoin
2: well it's interesting that you've got those two side by side gold and bitcoin because you know the one of the Earliest forms of exchange in societies was, you know, when kings or caesars used to, you know, imprint their visage onto a piece of gold and then it would be used as an exchange of value, right? That has been with us throughout history. And now we're moving into an era which is defined by bits of code. It governs the way that we transact. We're increasingly beginning to transact. And There is a lot of discussion about what digital currencies mean as far as the future is concerned. So I think that we're very much at the beginning of this journey when it comes to digital currencies, and it's along the lines of what I said before, you know, those first days where monarchs and and what have you used to uh, imprint their insignias on a bit of gold, and that would be the currency in that area. Bitcoin is just at the beginning of of that journey, I, I suppose, and it represents so many fascinating conversations uh, uh, in terms of what it means for you know governments and, and central banks and the like, so yeah, I'd probably say cryptocurrencies are a little bit undervalued at this stage. Yeah, no.
0: So Tom, we could go deep on that conversation, but I'm going to pull you us could go out of it. deep on all of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we could. Back. <laughs> but we're here to go deep on you, so we'll refocus and we love to start by hearing about the guests that we have on our background. We and, and especially we like hearing about the story of their first investment. We find there are some good lessons or some good stories that usually come out of that. So to kick us off today, can
2: you tell us the story of your first investment? obviously you know you've you've given me a, a bit of a heads up in terms of some of the things that you'd be asking me, so I actually thought quite deeply about this, and what I was left with was the that the the relationship between time and capital right so when I was uh younger, you know I grew up in the country, you have a fair bit of time on your hands, <laughs> and you know for some reason, I just understood that there was a relationship in terms of the quality of your life between you know what you could pay for and and what you had to sort of beg your parents for. So I was trying to get as much financial independence as possible possible at an early age. So I realized that w- with the abundance of time on my hands, I could use that to you know, do odd jobs for people around the neighborhood. And um, that would be that they'd pay me for it. So that was good. So I, I saved that money up and I bought a lawnmower uh, eventually. And I'd sort of go around and mow people's lawns. And you know, you'd, you'd have the jump on any competitors if they didn't have uh, their own lawnmower. So that was probably my first real investment in my own time and uh, in my own assets. Nice. I think uh, year six
1: was when I started Lesky's Lawns. Lesky is my surname. So <laughs> <laughs> but then that came crashing down. Pre- well, not pretty quickly, but when one of my mates got a hold of the flyers that I had uh, posted around my neighbourhood and printed about a thousand copies of them and stuck them all around the school, uh, it's <laughs> it soon became a bit embarrassing that I was uh, pumping out lawns for uh, e- everyone and ended up doing it for my mate and his parents while he watched me on from the front lounge room. <laughs> so, Anyway, what kind of a savage <laughs> I know, yeah. I well, I was. I know, I know. Are, still... uh,
2: are you still in contact with this animal? What Unfortunately,
1: you... well, I don't know. Oh, fortunately, fortunately. Uh, <laughs> he's one of my best <laughs> friends,
2: yeah. Well, um, the thing is that, look, you know, uh, and that's the thing about young males in particular, it's all about trying to bring as much embarrassment um, to your friends as possible. But look, you've just got to stay strong through those episodes, uh, Bryce. So, um, And look, you know, you were had the respect of many, many parents around the neighbourhood.
1: <laughs> that's it? the thing. That's what mattered, right? Yeah,
2: <laughs> and um, you know, uh, that's that's that that doesn't hurt.
1: So, Tom, as we mentioned at the start of the show, you are a market analyst at Comsec. Are you able to sort of briefly just uh, give us a bit of a background into how you came to be doing what you're doing? It's
2: always interesting to hear that story. So I've been here for a long time, actually. I've been here for um, for. Twenty years, which is like quite chilling to hear myself say that. So that has been the bulk of my work journey, I suppose, mm. as far as my work career is concerned. But it's been a fascinating one from from that vantage point, just by virtue of you know what you're tasked with looking at every day in terms of the investment markets and mm. uh, talking about them and all of the events that accompany the economic narrative you know in my earliest days uh, I remember being at work as I used to work the evening shift so I'd work uh, into the early morning and I'll never forget and and nor would anyone else who ever saw the world trade center tragedy and just trying to you know understand that from a a human perspective and then seeing everything else that accompanied that was you know so it's a rare opportunity that you have to be able to try and you know join all of those dots Together, so that's what I try to do here uh, most days of the week. But you know, before that, I'd spent time as a trader and as a broker, and the journey of that, you know, which inevitably starts on either a trading desk or in the back office. You know, writing out trades, uh, making sure that things balance up at the end of the day. Of the day. All of those things, which probably have been reduced now because of their impact on technology, but they've historically provided a valuable entry point for young people who are interested and that sort of thing because they were quite menial tasks but important because they reinforced the values of making sure that a, a book was adequately balanced at the at the end of the day, that risk was measured properly, that uh, all of those conversations that you were a part of, you know, albeit at a very junior level, just in terms of being relied upon, but, you know, you were able to populate your mental universe with um, all of those things that are uh, the foundation of, uh, of markets and risk and price and uh, all of those things. So along the way, I worked with some extremely talented and intelligent and brilliant people, and that was a humbling and a, a great privilege to be able to be in that position as a young person, you know people that taught you not only about the work environment and the markets but also about being a decent human being as well which is not what people would necessarily associate with the with the financial markets but you know you, you spend a lot of time with, with people you know in quite stressful environments and you know before covid you you know sort of be you know all around a desk and you would you know spend more time with these people than your family so one way or the other they would have quite significant impact on your life
0: so Tom, through all of those conversations and experience and, and through your near 20 years at ComSec, have you developed a personal investing philosophy?
2: Look, it's not, a, not necessarily a personal investing philosophy, but the best investment philosophy is one where you take uh, a long-term view because under those circumstances what you're able to do with the benefit of that time frame is you can inure yourself or inoculate yourself against the inherent volatility of markets and price movements Right, so then you are able to focus on fundamentals like the uh, quality of an organization through its management, the people who uh, make up the intellectual property of the organization, the ideas that they have, the systems that they have that their uh, organization is based on. And then it you know, just comes down to the very simple idea of after you've paid the bills that are associated with running your business, how much money do you have left over, which you can either reinvest into your business or return to your investors, right? So it sounds quite simple, but it is a challenge when you you know, go into a stock market and try to pick apart all of these businesses. But it is the best and proven approach to to making money over the long term when it comes to uh, investing companies. It's not rocket science. It's not anything that gets reinvented over time. All of these concepts are ages old. Right. And regardless of whether or not you're applying it to an industrial company that's been around for uh, a couple of hundred years or whether or not you're applying it to an organization that's just um, floated yesterday, you know, these, these principles apply to all of these organizations.
1: So, Tom, we're just going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And if there is a bit of clean air, it means we don't have any for this episode. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. So, Tom, we've just heard about your background and have played a bit of the overrated, underrated game. Let's get into a few more, I guess, detailed topics. Obviously, Equity Mates is all about the investing journey, particularly with a focus on the start. And, you know, you've got years of experience in the industry, having spoken to many, many different people as well. And we'd love to get your thoughts on what you think are some of the key pillars to building an investment portfolio.
2: Again, when you hear people talking about the financial markets or particularly the stock market, you know there's that element of gambling about the conversation. Do you know mm, what I mean, like mm. if you had a conversation at a barbecue, you know inevitably someone would say, "Oh, you know, it's just a horse it's, race yeah. and um that type of thing, and so it really comes back to trying to exact as much. A control as you can over a set of very fluid variables. Right. And so like I said before, you know, the the most important variable is time. Okay. And that is, is fundamental to all investments and in everything that we do. So when you give yourself the greatest time frame, that is when you'll be in a, a good position. So, you know, that's why it's important to start early. In the investment journey, mm. any number of companies that are extremely valuable now that were just a fraction of that value ten or fifteen or twenty years ago, right? But it's a matter of you know finding those brilliant companies and trying to understand what impression that they're going to make over the course of the longer term. So you know, be the bank be it a, a biotech like CSL, you know, Woolworths, they're the sorts of organizations that are important, I think, in the start of an investment journey. Ones that you can trust for the long term. Okay, have them as the foundation of your portfolio. It might be, you know, might be boring, but these are, you know, I mean, everyone's got a uh, Warren Buffett quote, but you know, one of the things, well, I suppose, it's applicable to me or not, but you know, Warren Buffett used to be a very famous investor in Gillette, and he used to say, you know, I love to go to sleep at night knowing that every american male in the country is growing his whiskers at night and he's going to shave them off in the morning uh, yeah well Not you tom yeah you've really <laughs>
0: let him down there
2: and I believe I didn't that that's I don't know why that just came to mind but um, <laughs> it, it, it did but i suppose within that quirky quote is extraordinary wisdom right it's uh um, you know organizations that rely on that repetitive aspect of human nature that is very fundamental to the way that we live if that is a, an organization that is well run that has the right people in charge of it and has the right philosophy in terms of rewarding investors for their support of the, of the shares you know um your your wealth will grow over the longer term so it's easy to kind of just fob your nose at the age old wisdom uh if you know what i mean but it becomes a cliche for a reason right because i suppose it works so that's the thing that i would encourage people who are new to to the share market is that you know you as important as anything else is your psychology and your mental approach to things your expectations you know if you can get a rein on those and look out over the course of the longer term and don't treat you know these markets as a as a gambling device then you'll be well served you know be consistent over the years put away the money invest in the right in those high quality companies over the space of you know 10 or 15 years, you'll be really pleased with the outcome. You'll, you'll really be satisfied in terms of what you've been able to achieve in terms of the, the growth of your finances, I suppose.
0: That's great advice and definitely is a good reminder for everyone, even if they're not just at the beginning of their journey. It's very easy to get caught up in the day-to-day noise, but it's that long-term thinking that really makes the difference.
2: I know it sounds a little bit beige and it's not, you know, electrifying, but there's a fundamental truth to it or a value to it. So that's the point that I would make, I suppose. So, Tom, we want to just touch
1: on some of the major impacts of COVID, obviously one of the more intense time of our investing journey and something that a lot of our audience certainly wouldn't have experienced in terms of a market reaction before. What have been some of your biggest lessons and perhaps some of the major lessons that you've learned from the CEOs that you have interviewed through your executive series? And just for the uh, those in our audience who haven't come across the Executives series before. It's a series of interviews that Tom does with uh, a number of CEOs from many of the publicly listed companies that we're familiar with, so certainly recommend going and checking that out.
0: Probably has the best access to CEOs of anyone in <laughs> Australia. Yeah. So we're oh, a little Josh, bit jealous. Way too kind. Way too <laughs>
2: kind. They've just, they've just, they just take pity on me, that's all. <laughs> um,
0: well, maybe we need to play the pity angle more to get some of them on here.
2: <laughs> if, if you grow a beard and look like, a home, like, you, know, like you live under a bridge, then um, <laughs> it, might, it might work. It's not without its cost though. You, you have to put up with a lot of social iso- uh, isolation <laughs> and run the risk of your partner leaving you.
1: <laughs> so yeah, if, if you can perhaps just share maybe some of your biggest lessons and or some of the biggest lessons that you've learnt from the, some of the CEOs that you've interviewed in relation to COVID and I guess markets.
2: Yeah. So I suppose the easiest comparison that you have to what we're navigating at the moment in terms of the market volatility was what we saw during the GFC um, around 10 years ago. So that uncertainty is on a similar plane, the difference obviously being that one was a financial crisis, but not just a financial crisis, one where the heart of the banking system was under threat from a range of issues. But the fact that you, know, you, you had a liquidity issue, you know, in medical terms, it was like the financial markets were having a heart attack. And, you know, things had to be done extremely quickly to reassure investors. But not only that, to just make sure that the financial corpuscles in the economy were being fed the way they should be by central banks, governments um, and all of that. So that's what we saw in the GFC. That was important because it gave us some form of a playbook when it came to the impact of the pandemic. But the obvious difference is the fact that this was a health crisis. That had then created a financial crisis. So the, the the big difference was that the health of the global financial system was a far cry from what we saw 10, year, uh, ten years ago, because of the legislation and the initiatives and you know the efforts to make sure that banks were well capitalized. All those sorts of things meant that the global economy was in a better position to to navigate what we've dealt with uh, in the COVID-19 pandemic. But still, the uncertainty in terms of managing a pandemic, that is without precedent. Um, and I think that expression, you know, I don't think we've ever heard the word unprecedented used more in human expression than we have in the last nine months. So what you understand when you're able to compare the, the two events side by side, I suppose, is the need to act quickly on the part of governments and central banks the, the need to speak lucidly and with authority when it comes to you know um, central banks and governments and the various authorities that you know represent an important part of the fabric of the, the financial landscape because you know ultimately it's these voices that reassure us about the durability of the markets and, and economies and, 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 and everything that's associated with that. So uh, I, I suppose what was reinforced for me was the value of of liquidity when it comes to spending initiatives from governments the value of central banks talking in you know reasoned tones about the moves that they are undertaking whether it's cutting interest rates providing liquidity to different parts of the economy through different facilities you know all of those things are in imperative and it just reminded me of like how lucky we are to live in societies that are governed by these institutions it's easy to pick fault with important institutions in our society, but they are there for a reason and they are what allows us to live, you know, these incredible lives that we enjoy in a developed economy and democracy, I suppose. You know, without those levers and without you know, um, the, these people uh, in, in important positions who wake up in the morning and all they're thinking about is like, you know, what can I do today to get this listing ship back on an even keel?
0: Yeah, you're right. That's the word unprecedented has never been used more.
2: Annoyed with myself for uh, having <laughs> used it. Um, no, but with, it is... With, without peer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: There are so many aspects of this that has been unprecedented. Obviously, the the speed of the decline, then the government response, yeah, both, from, that's true. both from the actual like fiscal government spending and then also the monetary policy from central banks and the unbelievable amount of quantitative easing we've seen, especially in the U.S., and then also, to use the, the unprecedented word again, the unprecedented rally that we saw from the 23rd of March onwards, how did you think, and um, you know, I'm interested, you know, you've obviously got access to a number of unbelievable analysts at ComSec that would have been watching all this very closely. How did you think about the speed of the decline and then the speed of the resulting rally after March 23rd?
2: It took your breath away. It really did. I mean, that sell-off that had our own market down by forty percent at, at its worst levels. But those moments where you are seeing, you know, the structure of whatever it is that you're in, you know, start to bend and behave in ways that are unfamiliar and uncomfortable. It'd be like a, you know, being on a roller coaster where your safety harness feels like it's coming undone. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's that kind of feeling where you think, okay, this is now at a bad stage, right? And um, you kind of, there's, there's almost something in our nature that expects something to come to the rescue. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: I think at that point when the market eventually got traction, it was a, a combination of things. You know, um, it was obvious that authorities were working in unison around the world. It was obvious that you know the important economies uh, around the world, their governments were also responding in the right way. I'm quite apolitical in my thinking, so I actually think that the Australian government has done a, a great job in terms of you know. The Deploying all of the resources that they, they could in a short space of time to buttress our economy and our markets against the uncertainty that we were dealing with in the early part of the year so but I suppose you know if we, when you haven't seen this sort of thing before you know you can never underestimate the impact that a central bank will have on a market when it opens up all of its taps and decides to fill the bath if you know what I mean, and that 's part of the reason why you saw markets around the world rally the way they did because you saw interest rates cut to the quick extraordinary efforts, and markets just love that sort of liquidity so you know to, to be down by you know what is it six or eight uh, percent or whatever it is today in year to date terms having been down by about forty uh, percent and not knowing so much uh, several months ago, that's, that's a bit of a triumph. And it's really, again, a testimony to the, the way that um, economies around the world can organize themselves and work in unison with institutions. And you can't underestimate that. The, the, that, is, that that's the foundation on which... Uh, these markets are built. These are the foundations upon which you buy something and you can expect the value of whatever it is that you buy to still be there many years down the track. They are all philosophically linked.
1: So, Tom, in terms of the long term impacts of COVID on the markets, you know, the markets have absolutely rallied and uh, it's a little hard to understand how everything is intertwining with the central banks and the impact that that's having on the markets. Yet we're seeing some pretty incredible economic or underlying economic data that just doesn't correlate with how the market is performing. In terms of yeah, the, the long-term impact of COVID, in your view, will we return to you know, the industries of old or are we now seeing a complete shift in industries that will thrive longer term and industries that we essentially really
2: need to steer clear of? That's a great question, Bryce. And this has been a common refrain around the themes that have been pulled out of the, the pandemic. Nothing new has necessarily emerged as a uh, as a trend. What you have tended to see is an acceleration of ones that have been either in the background or reasonably prominent in in the foreground. It's just meant that those trends have been accelerated with uh, some pretty breathtaking speed. So. You know the most obvious part of, of, of that picture. If you, if I'm to use an analogy that you can see, you know the uh, fundamental to the industrial revolution was the way that you had the railroads built around countries, uh, uh, you know, be it America, the US, Europe, um, whatever, they, they were the linkages that allowed economies to, to, to grow in part. Okay? So to use the digital equivalent of that, you know, uh, since the late 90s, we've had the equivalent of those railroads built in digital terms. But you can't see them. you can kind of uh, understand them in terms of the way you transact you you know um today you you, you get your phone out, you order a pair of uh converse high tops from your favorite shop uh if it's you know it might be down the road or it might be in Chicago, and then a couple of days later it turns up on your doorstep right um The technological infrastructure behind that has been built you know over several decades. Right. Um, but we're now at a point where it is commonplace. That's just like the the fabric of, of our lives. But then you know that all has to be driven by something. So you know Amazon Web Services, Alphabet. You know they provide the they're the sort of organisations. Alibaba. You know they they all provide the spine for the way we live our lives in in that respect. So you know th- those organisations have become further entrenched in that respect. But then you've had you know a whole bunch of uh, of other organizations who have been able to uh, build a digital technological footprint for their organizations over recent years and that investment has been rewarded because as we have been separated for each other, from each other and isolated, uh, but we've still been able to function with our, our, with our devices, you know, these organizations have been able to, to, to flourish in, in that respect. But, you know, that's one thing that we kind of know about. But we are in the midst of another important investment thematic that collides in a couple of ways, you know, ESG investing which is you know based on a more ethical approach to, to investing in, in industries that are sustainable on a, you know a, a variety of levels but it really speaks to our humanity you know that's that's an important trend that continues to, to gain pace and has been you know in, in, increasing in its prominence and the, the other important theme I think is one of you know the decarbonizing of the economy we've only just started in, in that journey and that will be an important Theme that continues to play out over the course of the next century as an imperative. So, there will be many opportunities from an investing perspective to capitalize on that idea.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of uh, really interesting and really big themes. We're just going to pause here quickly for an ad break, Tom. If listeners hear a bit of dead air, again, it's because Bryce has been unsuccessful in trying to sell equity mates to sponsors. All right. So, Tom, we've just covered off on COVID, both what, what's happened this year and then some of the potential longer term impacts and implications of COVID. We've mentioned a couple of times that you host this executive series where you speak to some of the biggest CEOs and executives of publicly listed companies in Australia. And for people who maybe aren't familiar with the show and they want to go and uh, review some of them, I want to know, do any of those interviews particularly stand out for you? Do you have any that last in your memory as maybe the best CEO you've interviewed or the the best interview you've had with one of those executives?
2: I suppose it's like uh, asking, you know, who's your favourite when it comes to your children. Uh, so, <laughs> what I think is remarkable when it comes to to uh, these individuals is that you know they are so devoted to their lives as corporate leaders. The the fact that you know every waking moment is uh, is devoted to building a better organisation and their passion from from that perspective. That's the sort of thing that. Really interests me, you know the commitment at, at so many levels, so you know there there are some r- remarkable human stories in terms of where people have, have come from to get to the top of the the corporate tree and and I think that 's always the wonderful aspect of a story it 's not the 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 station that you occupy it 's you know what you have done to to get there and the quality of human being that is delivered you know, into that space, you know, because it's—I think it's all a failure unless you're a, a, a decent individual. So that's the, the most important thing to keep sight of when you're um, uh, on on that journey of self improvement to make sure that there there aren't any other casualties that you have to take in that context.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, look, we won't make you choose between your children, but I used to work at Coles and while I no longer work there, every time you interviewed Stephen Kane, uh, the Coles CEO, I noted how impressed I was by him, so maybe Equity Mates listeners can start with Stephen Kane, the Coles uh, CEO,
2: and and go from there. Steve is a wonderful individual, right? Because um, every time we've spoken, you know, it's his accessibility and his humanity, which is really on show. You know, Coles uh, is a massive organisation. The, the the level of detail that he's able to go to, and this this is common amongst all of the CEOs. You know, they they can they'll tell you what colour bucket is in the storeroom. You know, at the Bondi Junction shop in. Many respects. I'm using that as a a Uh, metaphor. uh, I want
0: you to ask him that next time he comes on the show.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I think you know um, what's uh, again. And and Stephen is a wonderful example of uh, the humanity associated with you know corporate leaders these days. He you know really cares about the people that worked hard for the organisation during the pandemic, and yeah, just a thoroughly decent human being.
0: We've reached the end of our time and we want to say a massive thank you for joining us. It's gone so
2: quickly. I know, it has. I I thought we're only five minutes
0: in. (laughs) There was was plenty of rabbit holes that we could have gone down there. So we're going to have to get you back on at a later date to go a bit deeper. But for people that want to follow you and watch your work or read your work, where's somewhere where they can jump online and uh, find out more about you?
2: Just come and visit comsec.com.au. um, there'll be more than enough there you'll be sick of me by, (laughs) by by the end of 10 minutes
0: now we do like to end these interviews with a quick fire final three questions so we'll uh we'll get stuck into those now the first one is do you have any books that you consider must read and these can be investing or otherwise
2: i just think it's important to read Right? Just that journey of uh trying to know a little bit more each day. So be it a book of poetry, be it a book of like how a piece of machinery works, you know, just anything that makes you stop and think for a moment, I think there's that uh, there's great value in doing that. So I don't have a, a favorite book that well I do, but um uh, you know, fiction, non fiction, just all of it. Um any fertilizer that you can use for your imagination. <laughs> Is, uh, is helpful ultimately. And just you know, expand on your frame of reference to understand you know, what it's like to, to walk in the shoes of others uh, r- rather than just your own.
0: Nice one. I like the, the fertilizer analogy as well. So the second question is, outside of ComSec, we should say, what is your... <laughs> well, go- <laughs> I'm disappointed that you've uh, put yeah.
2: that caveat on it. Yeah, because, yeah. Uh, we'll,
0: we'll take that one as a given. What are some of your go-to sources for investing or financial information?
2: Do love Bloomberg uh, but that's I suppose that's a work thing but you know if you're not in the financial markets, you can really do yourself a favor by having a look at Bloomberg. It's not only a good news source when it comes to you know um, topics of the day. it's just it's it, the, the value of uh, financial information that it contains is just um, is awesome and it gives you an opportunity to learn about a lot of markets.
0: Nice right, so one. And then the final question if you think back to your younger self when you were uh, saving up that money and buying that first lawnmower, what advice would you have for your younger self?
2: You know what? I know he wouldn't listen. <laughs> so there's no point. Right? <laughs> Buy a ride on. Buy yeah. a ride on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, well, yeah, they, they were very expensive back in my day. That would have been funny. Look, you know, probably save more money than you spend easy,
1: easy piece of advice to go out on something I think everyone can relate to. So Tom, it has been uh, an absolute pleasure having you on the show long time coming. So we would love to get you back to dig deeper on many of those topics as well. So maybe we can line something up in the new year. But again, we've thoroughly enjoyed it. I know our audience will certainly get a lot out of what we spoke about today. So thank you very much for your time. We very much appreciate it.
2: You're both very kind. Thank you for your generosity and patience and your time and all the best to your audience. Good luck. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances or goals. The Host of EquityMates investing podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional.